um, I used to, when I got in the vineyard, I just really liked the worship. That's all I really liked. And then I liked John, his teaching. But I wasn't really into prayer. And so it wasn't until, like, I guess I met Rita in, when did we meet Rita? 96, 7, 5, somewhere around there, mid-90s. And she was really into prayer. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go on this ride for a little bit. And the Lord told me one time during my worship time, uh, actually devotional time, he said to me, um, prayer is um, worship's cousin. You're really going to like her. And I thought, okay, this is cool. So thank you, cousin Melissa, for entering into worship. She's awesome. Well, good morning. I'm Clara. And I'd like you to say hello to the person next to you and tell them your name. Good job. All right, good. Now, all the people sitting on this side, I want you to get up and go find somebody over here and say hello to them and tell them your name and you can tell them their name. You guys just sit. You guys are getting up moving. You, some of you are going to have to say hello to a couple of people. Just go over there and say hello, say your name. Good. All right. Thank you for doing that. I, I know we have breakout time, but the worship team is always up here. They miss out on that. And uh, some of you folks come in late, so you miss out on that. Anyway, um, anybody want to share about their experience with trying to give their water bottle away or any experiences they're having with the outflow devotional? Anybody? I've heard some good things. Okay, come on. Just stand up and turn around and share. Hello, I'm Priscilla. Um, I actually was in children's ministry last week, so I didn't grab a water bottle. But I, because I didn't grab a water bottle, I had the privilege of handing out nine water bottles. So <laughs> I would say that you might want to come up here and grab one because you might get recruited for doing more. <laughs> Anyways, despite that, I, my mom and I went to um, the park where we're actually doing our party and handed out nine water bottles each. Um, and at first I was very nice. Do you like a water bottle? We're just showing God's love in a practical way. And normally they go, no, thank you. So mommy comes over. She's like, Priscilla, like this. Here's a water bottle. We're showing God's love in a practical way. <laughs> and then they would take it and be like, oh, thank you. <laughs> you just can't ask <laughs> normally. <laughs> but um, it was really neat to see people's faces light up um, from something simple like that. And some people would just be like, oh, cool. And some people would be like, really? It's free? Um, so that was cool. We had one little boy who we gave it to um, who looked identical to Andrew Falk, if any of you remember him. I thought I was looking at a little Andrew, and I'm sitting here going, I want to take you home with me. <laughs> um, anyways, um, he, we gave him a water bottle the first time, and then he came back right at the end. We still have one more water bottle, and he was just kind of standing there watching us. And Mommy goes, do you, do you want another water bottle? And he's like, no, I'm okay. And we're like, okay. And so Mom's like, well, do you come here often? He's like, yeah, pretty often. So we're like, well, guess what? We're having a party here in a few weeks. And we give him an invitation. We say we're going to be having free hot dogs. And he goes, 
free hot dogs. <laughs> he was just really excited. So anyways, I was just thinking that it's neat how something simple like that can give the opportunity for someone to be loved in a bigger way than we even thought was possible just from a water bottle. So That's, that's good. Thank you, Priscilla. Um, some of you um, still have your water bottles in your car. Two of them even. <laughs> so you didn't even drink the one that was for you. <laughs> They're not in your car. Where do they get to? Oh, <laughs> that was in my husband's car, who's the pastor of the church. So <laughs> you see, I know. I'm praying for you guys. I know that we're coming against something that is trying to resist us breaking free from our tightenedness and our religiousness about breaking out from how we normally would do evangelism. And so um, serving the community is a different way of doing it. Um, and so we're, we're going to learn. We're going to be uncomfortable. But um, I am going to go again to the park because I have 32 bottles left to give. And it took us 10 minutes to give out 18 bottles. And the only reason we took that many is that's all I could carry. I was just, you know, we couldn't carry anymore. So if you have 10 minutes this week, I'll send a, a, an email to y'all and let you know when we're going to meet, when we're going to do it. You can show up. And you, uh, if you guys want to bring water bottles, I'll have extra labels that we'll place them on real quick because it, it won't take that long to give them out. The thing is that people, when you say, would you like, think, okay, I'm going to have to pay for this. And isn't that how it feels like when we begin to share people about Christ? I'm going to have to pay for this somehow. There's a catch to this. And really, we need to get over that mentality and help people that. So that's why I just went, we're trying to show God's love in a practical way. Here's a water bottle. And they're like, wow, that's different. And they like that. They like that I'm not going to stand there and preach to them and sermonize and scalp them if they don't listen to me and ask me what what's I do to be saved. So all y'all... I know I'm stretching you, and I know that we are facing something spiritual, some spiritual warfare over this body to get this. So if you're feeling uncomfortable, you're helping to push that wall down that we're, try- we're facing. And we're interceding for y'all and for us um, as a body so that we can get it. All right? So, yeah, if you want to uh, join us, then you can bring some water bottles, and I'll have extra labels in case any of you show up with your own case of water bottles. We'll help you pass them out. You'll see how fun it is. It's very, very fun. Okay, how about the Outflow devotional? There is a book called Outflow that you guys can purchase. I don't have any here, but um, this looks like that. How many of you have um, anybody want to share anything that God has spoken to you personally through that book? Well, if you haven't gotten one, it's not too late. Randy was able to find um, them for cheaper online, two days delivery, than going to where I told you to go. They were like $16 where I told you to go, and he found them for 10 So if you're interested in purchasing one, um, see, the deal is, is for us to be able to have anything to give to this world, we have to be filled up with Jesus. And um, in our junior high community group, what we did is we put the water fountain on. We put the faucet on, and we, everybody had a cup, and we filled up our cups in the sink. And, oh, nice, we all have big, full cups. And then we began to say, okay, now, did you do anything nice today? Oh, yeah. So, well, let's just pour some of that water out. Okay. Did you obey your mom today? Yeah. How many times? All day long. Okay. That's at least half a cup. 
So they poured out half of their cup. Okay, what about did anybody in your you know somebody um, break something of yours, or did you break something, and you know did you have to get over it? And so they poured. Before you knew it, all you know all their cups were empty. Okay, and the faucet is running the whole time. And I basically told them, you know, so long as the Tapleys keep paying their water bill, that water is available to you. It's nonstop. It's been flowing this whole time that we've been dumping our cup. But what some of you do is this. And I just put the faucet down. The water stopped. The glasses were empty. And some of us have done that. In our relationship with God, we've stopped connecting through our devotional life with him, through our encounters with him and his word, through prayer, we have stopped the flow. And so when I ask you to do something like this, it's like no way it's going to happen. Because what happens when we get filled with God, we cannot help but realize every person I meet that day is a possible encounter for divine opportunity for God to speak and use me to love them and care for them and accept them and all that nice stuff. And so I just really want to encourage you that if you don't know what to do for devotions, that that outflow book is powerful, very, very helpful, very real and we'll speak to you in a real personal way. Okay. Okay, I think we have um, a funny video clip. You ready for it? Okay, then do it. Hold on to what? Okay. Obviously, a very dysfunctional family. Maybe it reminds you of bits and pieces of your own. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, The Simpsons is a funny way of showing what family sometimes can be and how frustrating and hard it can be to communicate with our families and friends. And, um, you know, when we talk about the topic of evangelism, when it comes to our family and friends, and we talk about using this book and somehow uh, evangelizing to them, it can be a little scary. Because they're so close to us. We're vested in them, and they have invested much in us. And um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, just thank you so much for um, your presence here with us, that you are ready to um, flow in us, to overflowing. And, Lord, that it's for a purpose. You just don't want the water to go down the drain. You don't want us to just uh, walk away with our little cups and think that's all you wanted. But, Lord, you want us to be impacting our community and our family. And so, Father, we pray for the connection between you in us and you through us and you out of us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, a couple of weeks ago, we started a series on outflow. And basically, the illustration we used was I had a, um, someone take a photo of our wall fountain in our porch, which has four tiers. And basically, the concept of this fountain is the water comes through the spout and splashes and then goes through the different tiers. Right, And then the, the verse for our um, teaching for this whole series is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Because this, you know, if, if you're like, what are we doing and why are we doing this? Um, just want to get our bearings again. You can leave that, that picture up there. It's just fine. If you're, not, you're not ahead of the game at all. Just leave it up. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, we need encounters with him. We need being filled by him and touched by him. So that top that sprout and the water is resembling like the holy spirit in our lives and that first tear is is us it's jerusalem so we've got to be touched by that holy spirit by his presence in order for it to splash and flow into the next tear and the next okay now jesus himself referred to himself as spring of living water and this is really what this fountain represents, a place, a container, a location where the Holy Spirit can come and touch us and fill us and pour out to the next. So our, you know, we, last week we talked about our personal relationship with God and being filled with that living water. In your community groups, we also have been talking about being filled. And so we're, there's this connection that's happening. Children's ministry, there, last week they talked about being touched and filled by the Holy Spirit. So that we have something to drop into the next tier. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about our relationships with our family and our friends, which is the next tier. So in the scripture, it says Jerusalem and then Judea. So we're now on to Judea. All right, now let's look at um, some biblical households that were touched by the power of God and knowing Jesus. Let's look at John chapter 4, verses 47 through 53. John chapter 4. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you see people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. And then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. Now we're going to look at Acts chapter 16. And there we... Um, find Paul meeting a businesswoman. Her name was Lydia by the riverbank of the city of Philippi. And um, there she hears Paul talk about Jesus. The Lord opens her heart to the message, and she ends up um, inviting Jesus into her life and being baptized as well as the members of her household. Let's look at the verses there. Acts 16, verses 14 through 15. 
One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Theatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And then in Acts 16, 17 through 31, it's a story about Paul and Silas. Where they went there and went to the place of prayer. And while they were hanging out for four days, this young slave girl was running around following them, yelling this. These men are servants of the Most High God who who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, after about four days of them trying to talk to people and her yelling this stuff, Paul finally turns around and realizes that he's dealing with a demonic spirit. And this demonic spirit is harassing this young girl. So he commands that spirit to come out of the girl. And immediately the spirit leaves her. Now, she belonged to somebody. She was a slave to some investors. They were making money out of her gift to be able to tell fortunes. So they were pretty upset when their enterprise has suddenly come dry. And so they decided to stir some trouble for Paul and Silas and said, these guys are causing trouble. Well, definitely causing trouble for their personal business. But they convinced the authorities to arrest them and beat them because they were causing trouble for the whole city. Now let's look at verse 23. This is chapter 16. That's where we'll pick up the story. After they, that's Paul and Silas, had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. I guess he was a little concerned they might get out. They didn't probably look like very ferocious kind of criminals, but still, he was not going to take any chances. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I guess they had some good voices, maybe. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison door open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself when he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, Paul and Silas had been beaten arrested, shackled, shaken up, and miraculously released from their chains. And now they got to prevent a suicide. The adventure was just beginning. Then it says the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, if you try to share your faith with your family and friends around you, you probably have found some resistance or some kinds of walls. Maybe the person you're trying to reach has been having some pretty bad experience with some very obnoxious religious people. And so they're just going to put you in that category. Okay, maybe they're caught up in a type of lifestyle where they don't want to be confronted with a holy God and the positive speaking, uh, teaching of Jesus. Or maybe you tried and you just really messed up. It didn't come out right. 
Now, I gave my life to Jesus when I was barely 18. I was a senior in high school. I was coming to the conclusion of my high school year. And I was so filled with God's love that you could not have stopped me talking about him, even if I had been put into chains, because the joy was overwhelming. So the very next day, I could hardly wait to talk to my family and to talk to my parents. I was so excited about them hearing about Jesus and God. I was sure that once they heard the message, they would accept Jesus into their hearts. Any of you ever thought that? Well, I remember telling my dad that all he had to do was to ask Jesus to come into his heart and to believe that Jesus had died for all his sins. Well, he didn't appreciate me pointing out that he had some sins and that I thought he was going to go to hell if he didn't repent of his sins. So as you can imagine, it did not go very well. Not with my dad, not with my mom, and not with my siblings. Instead of joy and appreciation, I got isolation, ridicule, and scorn. For my faith and for choosing a lifestyle that was different than what I had been raised in. As far as my family was concerned, I was wasting a very good mind when I told them I wanted to go to full-time ministry. Now, I believe most of us want to pour out God's love to our family and our friends. I believe that's just who we are as a people. But it's going to be tough, and sometimes it's harder and longer than we thought. Unfortunately, family members and friends don't usually fall on their face saying, what must I do to believe? What can we do to get through to our families and friends without being rude or pushy or obnoxious? I want to share three ideas. These are from Steve Schrogren, who's a vineyard pastor in Florida. And so the first point is this. Get real about what you can't do. Now, some of you might feel a bit beat up by family and friends when you try to share with them about your faith in Christ. They don't understand you. Why do you bother going to church every Sunday? Why do you tithe? When you, you know you could use that money some other way for something the kids really need. Why don't you let your kids watch those movies and those videos? And what's so wrong about getting drunk at parties? You know, Paul and Silas were literally bruised and beaten, and it looked like their opportunity to get to, to share the gospel had come to an end. And you know, they're real people. I know we put them into big pedestals and we almost deify the apostles and the early church uh, leaders, but they were real people. So I think they bled and they bruised, and I think it really hurt when they had been beaten. They were not superpower uh, heroes with supernatural experience, uh, ability to freeze things, you know, and to automatically heal themselves. What prevented Paul and Silas from wallowing in guilt or depression as they sat in that dark cell? What motivated them to sing and pray in their darkest moments? I believe they had a realistic view about what they could not do. And, you know, when I feel defeated and, you know, those deconstructive ideas go through my head, it's really very helpful when I realize who I am and what I can and I cannot do. For instance... I cannot undo the past. I clearly blew it with my family. I didn't understand that there was a process of convincing that my life had been changed by acts of service and kindness to them. Didn't get that. I thought I had to be all word and no action. So I blew it. I can't, I can't blame myself, 
for the past and how I did it wrong. You know, Silas could have said, you know, Paul, could you just have waited to cast out that demon for another time? And maybe Paul was thinking, gosh, maybe I, I should have just waited till it was all dark and nobody could see us. Or, you know, why did I have to do it then? It's part of our human nature to have regrets, complaint, and to blame ourselves or blame others. But it doesn't really help. Have you noticed that? Whatever happens cannot be undone. No matter how many times I replay what I should have, what I could have, what I would have said to my parents, does not change the fact that I blew it. We cannot pass. We cannot change the past. And sometimes when we try um, sharing our our faith with our family and friends, we sometimes get stuck reliving our failures in our attempts to share the gospel. I think that needs to stop. That really needs to stop because that's not going to change anything. I can guarantee that. And so I just want to encourage us that if our plans don't work, it's all right. They didn't work. You know, Mother Teresa has this great little quote. If you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. Isn't that great? For such a little woman, you know, I think that's awesome that that's one of her quotes. God knows exactly how far we are from reality with our plans to see our family and friends getting saved. But if anybody can help us, it's God. Now, Helen Keller, she is a, um, she's now dead, but she was a wonderful woman. She was a follower of Christ. And when she was two years old, she got an illness that caused her to go blind and deaf. And she grew up to be a, a fantastic woman of God, graduated from college, and did some wonderful things for handicapped folks. But this is one of her quotes. As selfishness and complaint pervert the mind, so love with his joy, clears and sharpens the vision. When we tap into God's love for our family and our friends, our vision for them will change. We'll catch God's vision and be able to be a different way with them. The other thing we cannot do, besides change the past, we cannot control the future. You guys notice that? I mean, I, um, my brother is a stockbroker for um, Lehman Sherman. Smith Barney, they're always changing their name. Lehman went out of business, so it's Smith Barney. Very successful in California, in the Beverly Hill. Um, that's where his area is. And um, he, I talked to him last week. And I said, so how are you doing with the stock market stuff? He goes, Clarita, that's what he calls me. Clarita, it's, it's horrible. I mean, it's been the worst couple of weeks of my life. He goes, I look in the mirror, and I look 10 years older. I mean, I just I can't believe how much I've aged during this time. He said, I was just planning in two weeks of, of retiring early. He's going to be 55. And now I can't. I told Suzanne, Suzanne, we're not going to retire early. Then another week went by, and then I told her, okay, I'm not retiring at all. We're going to keep working to build this back up. I said, well, compared to what happened in the 80s, what's the difference? Well, in the 80s, I didn't have any money, Clara. I was just starting the business. But now I've lost 40 to 50% of my retirement. And I said, Wow. And so I, that was an opportunity for me to tell him, Davey, I just want you to know that God cares. I mean, he's with you. And I know you haven't leaned on him, but this would be a really good time to lean on him. And he said, thank you, Clarita. I needed to hear that. Now, he's not a Christian yet, and he was one of the ones that I blew it, you know, 33 years ago. 
but now he's ready to listen because his life is a little shook up. One of the amazing things about Paul and Silas as they sat in that dark, smelly Roman jail is that they were particularly not worried about their future. You notice they weren't thinking, wow, I wonder if we're ever going to get out of here. Now, I wonder if anybody's going to come and visit us. You know, I don't know if you know this, but back in those times and about two-thirds of the world, the jail system is not one where they give you air-conditioned room or food or clothing or anything like we do here in the States. What happens to people who are prisoners is they're left there to rot and die. And the only way that they survive is if people, family, and friends come and visit them and feed them and give them clothing. So Paul and Silas are in jail, and they're at the mercy of, will the church remember us? And, you know, that's when the scripture says, you know, uh, don't forget to visit the prisoners because they knew what their jail systems were like. It's not like here, like, okay, you know, you go there and you're like, gosh, they're, they're eating better than we are. That's not true. It's, it is very sad. Don't forget the prisoners, but I just want you the context of some of the things they could be worrying about. Worry can be even more debilitating than regret. Because regret is at least limited to your past. Worry has everything that possibly could happen and everything that possibly might not happen. So there's a lot more to tag on to with worry. Mark Twain says this, I have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. (laughs) Isn't he a great guy? Although you might want to share your faith with friends and family members, some of you fear about what might happen if you do. Will they reject me? Will they dismiss me as a religious fanatic? Will they think that I think I'm better than they are? Will they ask me questions that I don't have the answer to? Will I so disappoint them and so mess up that they will reject God forever? Of course, there's innumerable number amounts of excuses and things that might happen, but one thing is 100% sure. Worry about what might happen won't help us embrace God's vision for us, our friends, our family, or our community. Jesus teaches us that worry is a big waste of time. Luke 12:25 to 26. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If you cannot even do a little thing like this, why do you worry about other matters? So we can't undo the past, and we cannot control the future, and we can't make anyone believe. This was a huge relief to me. I can't make anyone believe. This may sound really obvious, but I've seen some rudeness and some pushiness that happens in the name of evangelism. Now, in the book called Irresistible Evangelism by Steve Shrogren, he's also the author of the Outflow book that I'm encouraging you all to read, describes six deadly sins that people often commit when they are assuming the responsibility to make others believe. Scheming. Trying to trick people to trust in Jesus. Bible tracks disguised as $100 bills. Scalp hunting. Trying to win a daily quota of souls for Jesus. Screaming. Trying to argue people into receiving Christ. Selling Jesus as if he's a commodity. Using slick sell techniques to convince people to follow Jesus. Stalking. Pursuing people that don't want to talk to you. 
sermonizing, taking every opportunity to spout out correct answers to moral and spiritual questions people aren't even asking. Okay? Now somebody asked me, so why are we doing this party? What's the point? I said, truly, the point is for a transformation of our hearts. That's the point. Because if our hearts can be transformed, then I won't have to think of three or five creative ways for you during the week to look for opportunities to express your love to Jesus. That's the point. Maybe you've committed one or more of these sins, and it may be the very reason why you are resisting now to our encouragement to share with your family and friends. But one of the reasons I'm sharing with you this is because this matters to God. Our family and friends are our Judea. And God knows it's important that we reach out to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, I planted the seeds in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. And from this verse, it's very clear that we have a very important role in helping people know Jesus. You might be involved in one of the gardening functions. Maybe you're going to be the one that pulls out the weeds, the obstacles, the things have gotten in their way from embracing God's love. Maybe you're going to be the one who gets to harvest it. I don't know. But there's only one who can make the seed of faith grow, and that's God. Do you have that video ready? Okay. This uh, video is by Elisa Morgan. She's the CEO of MOPS. Some of you might be able to uh, know that ministry. I remember struggling with my mom so much because she'd been very bruised by life and wasn't interested into, in, a, in a formulaic step-by-step, this is how you do God kind of religion. She had no interest in that. In fact, it really offended her. Late, 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 like in the last week of her life. She did finally come to God. I mean, at her deathbed, she, she reached out next to me into this space next to me as I stood by her bed and I said what do you see there and she said Jesus and she reached her hands out to him and I'm like whoa pretty sensational and and I watched her go into his arms that was amazing and it so convinced me to never ever give up because that was a 30-year journey for me with her and you know on the flip side of it my father was not interested in God either And on his deathbed, I held his hands, fully expecting God to do the same miracle he did with my mother. And I watched him breathe in and breathe out, and breathe in and breathe out, and breathe in and breathe out. And he was gone. And I have no idea where he went. And I have to sit with that and go, was that my fault? Did I do something wrong? Did I need to say more prayers? Did I need to have him pray out loud? And God has finally convinced me that I can trust my Father's eternity to the one God who's all-loving and fair. And I have to. And I think when it comes to family, we carry around this inordinate burden that it's up to us. And and we we may watch in one family member someone respond and think, oh, we did it right. Yay! And then we look at someone else and maybe they don't respond in a visible, tangible way and we think, oh, We did it wrong, and we're responsible. And and I think God wants to free us from all of that and and convince us once and for all that he has a personal love for each human being. And through his Holy Spirit, he has access to their inner souls in a way that we don't. And he might invite us into that process and use us, but sometimes we don't know it, and sometimes we do. 
Okay. The second point is get on with what you can do. You can pray. Elisa never stopped praying for her parents, even when their resistance to God seemed impenetrable. In the same way, Paul and Silas didn't give up praying, even though they were in jail. No matter what's going on in the lives of the people you love, that you're trying to reach, prayer is the most important thing we can do. It's the most doable way to reach them. Pray for them. If you love your family and your friends, sometimes the best thing God can do is to shake them up, like my brother. Instead of destroying things like most earthquakes, we see God shaking the situation where Paul and Silas were to create a new opening and opportunity to witness to the jailer and his family. When you pray for your friends and family members, you're laying down the entirety of your relationship on the table. Sometimes we pray only that our non-Christian friends and family members will accept Jesus. I think that's kind of lame. Well, this is definitely the most important prayer we can pray for them. There's a lot more going on in their lives that we ought to be supporting them through prayer. Pray about their car breaking down. Pray about losing that job. Pray about that sick baby. Because in the process, not only will you be supporting them in very meaningful ways that matter to them, but in you spend that time with God, God begins to have access to tell you things about them you would not have known. Maybe he will share with you what is in the way of them surrendering themselves to God. Maybe he will show you something you can do to help them open their hearts to him. I don't believe the Lord is into or will he send to us baby Christians that we're not going to care and love for. Often I talk about people and I hear of people that are just into let's do the, the sinner's prayer and I did it and that was great and move on. I call those kind of babies gutter babies. That would be like me giving birth to a child in the street and leaving that baby there to figure it out on their own. You see, people are complex. And in evangelism, we need to realize it is just not the spirit that we love. We love the person. We love what's going on in their lives, and we get involved. That is the kind of evangelism that family and friends need. And that is one of the reasons why I'm taking the time to stress this time, this series with you all. Because in prayer, the Lord has told us they need to be reaching out. There are so many that do not know me that are in their lives right now. And that's why we stress a community group that you guys go every week so that you understand what family is like. Because when we have people get saved, you're not going to want to have to care for them alone. You're going to want to have a family to help you care for them. And community group is that place where we can bring and nurture and care together as a family for our young believers. And, you know, when we pray, not only are we praying for them, but you know what? Tell God how you feel about evangelism. Even if your feelings are unpleasant, tell him. C.S. Lewis once said, We must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Pretty honest. Now, in January, I'm going to go with my mother, who is 83, and my daughter, Mercy, who is 15, to Panama. She will be 16 when we go.
Mm -hmm. And we're going to visit my mother's side of the family. I haven't been there since I was 12 years old. So you count. I'm 51. It's been a while. I'll be 52. I will get my, I will turn 52 while I'm there. So it will be 40 years. Hey, that's an important number, isn't it? 40. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Okay, well, while I'm there, I'm going to visit my blood father. I have not seen him since Randy and I got married 33, uh, 32 years in January. Yeah. So it's 1978. That's the last time I saw my blood father. Now, when I talk about my father, I'm talking about the father that adopted me and raised me. When I refer to my blood father, I refer to him as my blood father because he really was not in my life. He pretty much abandoned me and my five siblings. But after I became a Christian, I began to write to him, my blood father, off and on. Because God had done something in my heart. And I would write to him about Jesus and write to him about what God was doing in my life. And, you know, when a man that important has abandoned you, it takes a supernatural God to change your heart, to want to reach out to a man like that. And so I've been able to do that off and on in these years, but I'm looking forward to seeing him in January. And one of the things that he said to me was, you know, Gladita, of all the six kids, you are the only one that invited me to their wedding. That meant so much to me. See, we don't know what evangelism looks like. It's just very simple. Is that the kind of evangelism that you've been taught to do? It is very simple, y'all. My blood father has six kids with my mom, but I was the baby, so I remember him the least. None of them really wanted him to be at their wedding. And I'm glad that I was able to do that. To my absent father, through Christ, I can and have forgiven him. Now, while I'm on this trip to Panama, I'm also going to visit one of my mom's favorite sisters. She's my aunt. And this aunt attempted to molest me several times as a child. The last time she tried it was when I was 19. You know, it takes God to change a heart, to know that she needs Jesus and that I can forgive her and love her. And it was several years back that my mom told me, you know, um, this aunt, she has cancer. And so I just reckoned with God, and I wrote her a letter, and in that letter I told her that I forgave her for what she had done and released her of any debts, and that I prayed that God would heal her. Now, she's alive today, and I'm looking forward to seeing her because I want her to see that I've been forgiven by God, and he has forgiven her. If you're afraid or confused or frustrated or even furious with your family members or your friends, tell God about it. Now, some of you have family members and friends that you know are away from God. And I just want to give us a minute of silent prayer for those folks. Thank you, Lord. Any rumblings? Any earthquakes starting to happen? Mm-hmm. When we pray, even for a minute, 
God is faithful to shake things up. But often he starts with us. He can give us new hope and vision inside of us and release us from the shackles that have prevented us from connecting with the people in our lives. Now, besides praying, we can listen and love. And really, you know what? When someone listens well to me, I always end up feeling loved. It's a wonderful gift that we can give. It doesn't mean that you can't speak up and say something, but it means that they feel understood. They feel cared for. And that is very important part of the process of evangelism. If, if it's very meaningful, when you feel heard, you actually do feel accepted. I know it is difficult at times, especially when you hear them saying really crazy things that they're planning on doing or lifestyles that really mess you up. It's still important to listen because in the midst of their brokenness, they need to be understood. That's exactly what God does with us. Now, the first year we went on the mission trip to Costa Rica, there were two members on the team that were not Christians. And I spoke to them, and I told them, okay, now, this is what what this trip is all about. Are you okay with that? You're going to be able to line up with that. Yeah, that sounds great. On the last day of missions, um, one of the Costa Rican pastors decided to prophesy over each member on the team. Now, one of the non-Christian members bawled the whole time. She was so overwhelmed with the love of the team and the things that she had experienced during that trip, she couldn't help but cry. Several times during the trip, she was ill and under pain. And every time we laid hands on her, her pain would be immediately gone and she was healed. She was encountering God by our love and our care. And by what ha- she was so moved by compassion on that trip that shortly after that, through the prayers and the love of the team, she gave her life to Jesus. The other non-Christian member also cried during the prayer time. But she said, I just want you to know that I will never become a Christian. I don't care how nice you are and how much you love me. I can't become a Christian. So if you want to send me home now, now that you know the truth, I understand. You know what that team did? They just got around her and cried with her. We hugged her and assured her that we accepted her right where she was. Acceptance is a powerful tool. She's still in process. She's still in my life. She's still resisting, but she has no hope. (laughs) You can pray and listen and love, and you can share and serve. Now, when I use the word share, I am not talking about a scripted gospel presentation. I'm meaning something way more personal. When you start to share with somebody and your friends, your family, share about what God's doing in your life. If God's answered a prayer, tell them. Tell them what he's done. This is a lot more authentic and the type of evangelism that I would like to see our church involved in. And then when you're serving people, we need to do it with no strings attached. It makes what, our, what we say more credible. Folks begin to connect with your service, taking care of their kids for free, helping them around the house, 
Those of you that still live with unbelieving family members, serve your family. Let them see that Christ in you makes a difference. It's called the anointing of credibility. Let your life shine there in your home. And I want to give a hint. I wish someone had given to me. Steve hadn't, Steve hadn't written this book yet. Which is, do three things of service before you ever say anything about Jesus. And live your life that way. Care for people in significant ways. So that when they ask you questions, your response will make sense. Because it does not make sense when we have no action and only words. 1 Peter 3.15 says, If someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Let's put the emphasis on when someone asks. Be ready. If we pray for our family and friends, listen to them, love them, share with them, and serve them in ways that are meaningful to them. Then, when they ask the question and your answer is Jesus, it will connect. Keep in mind, God is calling these folks to him. You're not alone. God wants the people in your lives to know him, to find him. Remember we talked about hide and seek. He's, he's wanting to be found. And then last of all, I want to say to get ready to see God move. Often when we're about our daily routine are the very times when we will find opportunity to share our faith. Acts 11, 11 through 14. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send for J- to Joppa for Simon, who is also called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. Now, it doesn't tell you what Peter was doing when these guys came to his house. He was taking a nap. And, you know, if you're over 50, sometimes that's the most spiritual thing you can do that day. Peter had learned to listen to the Holy Spirit, not just on Sunday, not just on corporate prayer, not when doing servant evangelism, but all the time. Now, the other day I was with a friend at um, Starbucks, and we were drinking. A, I was drinking a pumpkin latte. Mm, they're yummy. And suddenly she said, I'm hearing languages in my head, like tongues. And it was clearly that God was speaking to her, and her antennas needed to go up. And she needed to pay attention to what God was saying. Pay attention to God all day long. He's, he's talking is whether or not you're listening. He's wanting to interrupt your daily routine. So Peter listens to the Holy Spirit, and he goes with these men. And the outcome is that when Peter shows up, God shows up. The Holy Spirit pours out on Gentiles. That was a switch for Peter. He's like, wow, I didn't know the, the kingdom included Gentiles. Awesome. Now, some of you are a bit impatient. You think God is going a bit too slow. The answers to your prayers for those you love. You're tired of seeing your loved ones even looking like they're getting farther and farther away. I like this quote. There are two things God very seldom does. Everything at once and nothing at all. Our God is a God of mysterious processes. Now, I mentioned to you earlier that my family isolated, scorned, and mocked me when I made my decision to follow Christ 33 years ago. 
And um, halfway, half of them currently are committed followers of Christ now. The first one was my mother. Four years after I became a Christian, she prayed to receive Christ on a mission trip that Randy and I were leading, and she was part of the team. Now, my dad, on the other hand, is from Missouri. Anybody here from Missouri? Okay, what's, what's the slogan of Missouri? Show me. Exactly. That was my dad. He was a stubborn, self-reliant, self-made man, and he lived and worked through the Great Depression and became a strong, successful consultant. He didn't need God to lean on. I prayed for him for many years, and then in 1987, 12 years after my conversion, I was praying and fasting on behalf of my family and praying for their salvation. And I was agonizing over the Lord about my dad particularly, and he said to me, don't worry, little one. Your dad will come to me right towards the end. That assurance in prayer gave me the strength and peace that I needed, and really I don't remember praying about it since that moment. My father died in 1990, three years after that word from the Lord. But five days before he died, I had the privilege of leading him through the sinner's prayer. God is always on time. God wants his love to flow out to our family and friends. If you're struggling to reach out to your family and friends, will you please stand with me? And this is for you that have family and um, family members and friends that you're wanting to to talk to about Jesus and to witness to them in the ways that we're going to be talking about. I just want you to stand. And I'd like you to kind of join toward the middle and just hold hands with the others that are standing. Would you do that? And those that are sitting, don't feel excluded. That's not what this is about. This is about being community. Jesus, here we are again. Please fill us with your living water. And make your life flow out through us. Please pour your Holy Spirit into our lives and the lives of those we love. You know who we're thinking about right now, Lord. Please, Lord, remove those barriers that are preventing your love from getting through. And, oh, God, use me. Use me to love them into your arms. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, if you need more uh, ministry for things, you know, healing or other things going on in your life, I'd like you to come up to the front. There will be people here to pray for you. If any of you don't have a Bible, I was told recently that somebody um, moved here and packed up the Bible and can't find it. We have Bibles. Thank you, Jim. Jim, you know what? Right in there, there's some Bibles. If you pull them out. We have Bibles here in front of the stage that you can take. You don't need to pay for them. And there's also some Bibles there at the back of the welcome table if you're a little shy. And um, if you don't know where to start, start with the Gospels. Meet Jesus. Let him touch you and fill you. Now, for our outreach this week, um, I would like you to come forward and take.
two or three, whatever amount of these little cars you want, they have two kisses glued onto them. And what I want you to do is I want you to do anonymous acts of kindness. Okay? I don't want them to know you did it. Okay? So if you clean, if you mow your neighbor's lawn, then um, mow it and put that little candy in his mailbox. Or you clean his windshield wiper, whatever you want to do. But do it anonymously for family members and friends and leave these cards as the mark. That God is, is a symbol of God working through you for your family. And if anything awesome happens to you through uh, these acts of kindness, then would you email me or let me know because I'd love to hear your story. And then on November the 16th, remember we're going to have a community party at the park. We'll meet here from 9 to 10 on that Sunday morning with the kids and everybody in here. And then those of you that need to take your kids for naps can go ahead and do that. Those who want to help set up for the party, we can do that, and the party will start at noon at the park. And this will be our opportunity. Your community groups will be communicating to you this week about how you, your community group can help as a team. So you all have a part, and it will be fun. We'll get to love the community with no strings attached. So bless you, and the party's begun. And uh, those who need prayer, please come forward. And then the rest of y'all, just come and take some of these and um, see, what you, see what God's ideas are for you to pass them out.